Since the day she gave me that coveted final rose, my wife, Trista Sutter, has made me a better person. If she can get me to know better, to do better, and to just all around be better, then I'm sure she can do it for you too. You're listening to Better Etc. with my wife and your host, Trista Sutter. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Better Etc. You guys, this is kind of an epic moment because I have hit double digits for my episodes. We're on episode 10, you guys. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. Anyway, this is the continuation of a conversation that I started with Rachel Lindsay last week. If you don't know who Rachel is, she was the very first Black Bachelorette, but she's so much more than that. She has two very successful podcasts, one called Bachelor Happy Hour with our friend Becca Kufrin, who I adore. And then she also has Higher Learning and... Oh, it's so powerful and inspiring. I just, I love both of them. She's also a host on Extra and, of course, is happily engaged to Brian, a.k.a. Dr. Abs, has a fur baby named Copper, who makes a couple of quote-unquote appearances, if you will, on today's podcast. But I could not cut off the conversation we were having to under an hour, so I decided to cut them into two. In this episode, she shares stories of how prejudice reared its ugly, ugly head into her life and her family's lives and how she has literally had to repress herself and her reactions and emotions, including during a very specific moment on her finale of The Bachelorette, because of the stereotypes that she has fought against her entire life. She opens up about her future with Brian and Copper and how she plans on being better tomorrow. I am so thankful to Rachel. Thank you, Rachel, for being raw and open and willing to chat friend to friend regardless of skin color, about her life, her passions, and how I can, and hopefully all of you too, how we all can support her and all races and treat each other as we would want to be treated. So here we go. Okay, so before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk to you about our incredible sponsor, BetterHelp. You guys, I recently signed up and I have my very first appointment with my assigned licensed professional counselor tomorrow. I am so excited to connect with her because I've been having trouble sleeping lately. I've been dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety and their counselors are specialized and able to help people with those issues as well as depression, relationships, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem, and so much more. Anything you share is completely confidential. The service is available for clients worldwide. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is available for those struggling, like so many of us, with finances these days. It's not a crisis line or self-help. It is a professional counseling service done securely online. And the best part is you can do it from the comfort of your own home. If you're questioning whether or not to use it, you can check out the testimonials that are posted daily on their site. In fact, so many people are having great success using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com etc. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash etc. Okay, so personally... Can you share a couple incidences in your life where you have felt 
prejudiced against Mm -hmm. or wronged for the color of your skin? I remember, I love Cracker Barrel. The restaurant. Do y'all have do y'all have those in Colorado? No, we don't have Cracker Barrel. But I remember going to my first Cracker Barrel. It was it was not too long ago. It was probably it was within five years ago. Holy cow, those biscuits! Right. Oh, oh come on. So good. So I miss good. That. Oh, I miss it. And as a kid, it's such a fun place to go to because they've got the checkerboard, they've got rocking mm-hmm. chairs, they've got all these knickknacks in the store while you're waiting to be seated. And so we first discovered it on road trips, like traveling through to get to DC. We traveled through Tennessee, and I remember this one time we sat down to eat as a family, and we sat there was a white couple next to us. And they got up and they moved and they must have said something because at first they didn't get up from the table. When we sat down, like you could see that they were bothered and the guy was sitting, his chair was next to us. And instead he moved at his to see, to be further away from us and closer to his wife. And then I guess he was still bothered and he got up and he moved away. And whatever was said, I was a kid, so I don't remember Mm -hmm. it. I just remember them being bothered. And I remember my dad saying that they were bothered because a black family came in and sat next to them. And I'll never forget that. Like I didn't experience, they didn't say anything directly to me, but Mm. as a child, I was more oblivious to it. But my father said it was because they were upset that a black family had come into the restaurant and sat next to them. That's, that's probably like the biggest memory I have as a kid of just like overt racism. Mm-hmm. When I was an attorney, it was the racism of, oh, you're the attorney? Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, being a woman, being black and looking young, it was no way you're the attorney. That kind of thing. Ugh. I would blow up. I don't know like how you... How you stay poised because holy cow. I mean, I guess you just have to. That's what you have learned that you can't. That is, that's a very good point that you brought that up. I can't afford to be, to go That is when those stereotypes get placed on me that why are you so upset? One, being a female, two, being a black woman. So as a female, we're no, you know, oh, you don't want to upset. I don't want to upset you, honey. I've had judges call me honey or dear, or things like that in the courtroom. But I feel like that's also just being a woman. But as a black woman, we, it's not just emotional. We become an angry black woman. Mm -hmm. So I would deal with things like that. I also grew up with the stories that my parents, you know, dealt with my dad, you know, having to, to drink out of a colored only fountain, my mom going to an integrated school, like the first in her class to be integrated to a certain school. So I grew up with, with hearing that my parents always told us their stories. And even as an adult, especially in 2020, I've been asking a lot of questions. Like my dad would tell me he would go to the movies and he had to sit in the balcony. Blacks were in the balcony and whites got to sit down at the bottom, different things like that. Stories of, of kids calling them the N word, you know, my parent, my dad being the first valedictorian of his class, and they tried to cheat him out of that because he was going to be the first black in the school that that had happened to. And they were the only black family in the town. He grew up in a very small uh, farm town. Mm-hmm. As an adult, I've given you the attorney example, but I dealt with a lot as the bachelorette. Did you? There were, and not, Yes, in my DMs, I get, you know, the overt racism, but it was the subtle racism that I dealt with. Most specifically, the biggest moment was my finale. When I sat on that stage with Peter, who was my second choice, 
Mm-hmm. He had said to me, we had just watched a clip from the season of our breakup. And during the breakup, he said to me, well, if you're not going to choose me, then you're going to live a mediocre life. And I forgot that, he said that to me until I watched it. Cause you know, you're three months removed that I'm like yeah. engaged. I'm happy. And I forgot yeah. he said that to me and they made me, unlike other bachelorettes, watch it live on stage for the very first time. They wanted reactions from me. Oh my gosh. So I'm seething, but I'm like, you cannot show your emotion. So I turn to him and he talks and he's like, I'm so sorry. I never should have said that. You know, I, I was just really in my feelings. I was really upset. And I said, well, just so you know, I'm not living a mediocre life. I'm living my best life. Damn straight. <laughs> People ripped me for that. What? Trista, I became the angry black and I didn't curse. I didn't yell. Like I probably like shook my head a bit. I think I'm going to like, and I like turned to Chris Harrison when I said it reamed for it. Okay. Stop it. Reamed come back from commercial. They, they, they went to commercial. They like escort Peter away. Peter comes back. First thing Chris Harrison says to me is Rachel, you seem upset. And I'm like, just sitting there. I'm like, in my mind, in my, Within me, I'm like, I'm knowing what's happening. You can't say mm-hmm. those words to me. People are going to, to take that within and, and start stereotyping me. And I said, don't react. And I said, no, I'm not upset. I'm just frustrated. But, you know, this is mm-hmm. all very frustrating. And he goes, you seem angry. I'm livid. And then Peter goes, starts talking. And he's like, Peter, how do you feel? Peter starts talking. He said, well, honestly, I feel like you attacked me. Because I said, I'm living my best life. In that moment, I knew it was done for me. I knew better. 32 years old, I knew what was going to happen. And I said, Peter, that's a really strong word. That's a big accusation. Can you please tell me? And I said, it's just as calmly. Can you please tell me how you feel like I attacked you? Mm -hmm. He paused and he said, I don't know. Couldn't even say it. I knew a producer told him to say that. I know a producer told him to say that. That makes me so mad. And I just knew it was over for me. And so when we when we were done, I'm like thrilled. I'm announcing to the world. I'm with Brian. We're so happy. Instagram had dogged me. Oh, this was the real Rachel. She was edited before. This is her live. She's angry. She's I don't know if I can curse on here. She's the B word. Yes, you can. Okay, just say whatever you want. She's a bitch. She's how dare her attack Peter and. Here was the scenario. It was a black woman standing up to a white man. How dare you speak to him like that? Then with trigger words like upset, angry, and attack, Mm -hmm. that played into the stereotype. They made me the angry black female. It was the worst day and the best day of my life because I was announcing Brian, but it was the worst day for me. I am still recovering from, from that stereotype. And I... I'm still upset by that moment. Like, and I had producers tell me afterwards, realized what, cause I wrote an article about it a year later after I was out of contract, apologized to me and said, we should have never done that and put you in that moment. Yeah. And I, and, and it's Trista, what makes me so angry is I was reamed for saying, well, just so you know, I'm living my best life, but and this is what I mean about stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Hannah Brown can say to someone, 
And I'm not taking this away from her. I'm just trying to show the difference of the response. Mm -hmm. Hannah Brown can say, well, just so you know, I did this in a windmill and Jesus still loves me. And the world is clapping for her and saying how she's a strong woman. Well, I stand up to a man and say, well, I'm not living a mediocre life. I'm living my best life. But I'm, but I'm you're the angry, angry one. Yeah, so there, right. there's, that's the juxtaposition that you're, that you see between a black lead and a white lead and how people don't even realize what they're doing, but they're doing it. I'm so sorry you went through that. I mean, we've all, we've all got our stories, but the fact that you even have to censor yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you know that it's coming, you yeah. know, that you're going to get the wrath of the stereotype. Yeah. I'm just so sorry. Oh, thank you. It's I appreciate not okay. that. That's not okay. And I hope they've learned a lot from that experience, you know, the producers and that they are very thoughtful and mindful about those kinds of things because it's not okay. Leading into my next question, you'll like this one. Okay. I have to ask probably what is the biggest question you've got since you've gotten married when are you having kids? When am I having kids? I was like, if you don't, if you're asking me, I could definitely tell you because you know, you know, you've experienced this. You've gone through this whole thing. Yep. I get a lot of flack for this. A lot of people say, you're putting your career over Brian. And, you know, you said you wanted babies. And it's actually so disrespectful because yeah. you have no idea if we're trying. You have no idea what fertility struggles I may be going through. And right. for Brian and I, it's so important that you're never, you're never, it's never the perfect moment to have children, right? Even though you try to plan for it and you want like everything in order. But what we do want is a foundation for mm-hmm. our family and we want to plant roots. And I am just now feeling like being out here in LA. I'm feeling solid enough. And you know, like Brian has his plan to come here as well. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely happening, happening soon of like, okay, now we're in a place where we can start looking for a house. I don't want to bring a child into always moving around so much and with so much uncertainty. I want him to have him or her. So you can tell what I want. I said, yeah. him. I want a boy. I want a boy. I want him to have stability. So right now yeah. I'm in a place where I'm trying to get my body together in a mm-hmm. place where we can start that. We're not not trying, but we're not, we're not trying, but we're not not trying. There you go. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So that's where we are. And I I love that. I think that's totally respectable. And you're right. People should respect that you have your path. It's your path and, and Brian's path. It's your family's path. It's no one else's choice. And no one knows what you're going through. I, it, that is so frustrating to me when when people make assumptions, you uh, can't. And I'm nervous. If I can be a hundred percent honest, I am, I'm 35 yeah. and I'm, you know, like I have an appointment soon, but I am nervous at what I'm going to learn because I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, like how many eggs I have left. I have no idea what kind of shape my body is. It's the first time that I'm getting checked out in that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really scared because I don't know, you know, you never know if this process is going to be easy, if it's going to be hard. And when you see messages that are, you know, hateful to you because you haven't started a family, it's just like, well, what if it is hard for me, you know, right. and, you're, and you're coming at me and you have no idea. I don't even know what this right. is about to be like. Yeah. You know what? You just got to live in your truth and you're present. 
you know, and know that it's going to happen when it's supposed to. That happened for us. And I was older. I think I was 34 when I got pregnant with Max. Mm-hmm. And then I think I was 36 when I was pregnant with Blakesley. I believe she's 11. So I'm 48. So <laughs> let's do the math. <laughs> How old was I? I have a really bad memory. I, re- I forget all that stuff. Anyway, we tried for two years. Struggles. Because when you get married and you think that everything's going to line up. Okay, now I'm married and now we'll have the kids when we're supposed to have the kids and when we want to have the kids and all the things. And it did not happen that way for us. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it happened when it was supposed to. You know, I was ready at that point in time. And I think what's beautiful about your relationship is you are in a great space. You have lived a full life, at least to this point, Mm -hmm. and you've had great life experience. So there's something to be said for waiting. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And you you know, more probably more more than me <laughs> that the haters can just they just need to be deleted. Like I have such a problem with it, Rachel. Oh, I I don't know if it's because I'm a Scorpio or because it is. I it right? It is. I know it is. That's... And I'm also a a 2 2 enneagram. And you... anyway, I have a really hard time not focusing on the negativity. Mm-hmm. There's so many people, right? And they're so kind and they're so thoughtful and they're so sweet. And and then it's the one person who slides in the DMs and they say something mean and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. You're not so alone. So frustrating. Okay. So that baby question. Mm-hmm leads into what will you teach your kids? Have you guys talked about how you're going to teach your kids about racism, how you're going to bring up your children in the society that we're in today? Great question. So I guess the, 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 the short answer is we haven't been specific about how we will do it. Mm-hmm. What I do know is that we will have a biracial child and I have told Brian, no matter how that child comes out, whatever complexion their skin may be, Mm -hmm. they will be black. And it is so important that we teach them that, you know, they will have a black mother, but it is also extremely important to teach them that they are Latin as well. And I, it is, I want to make sure that our child understands the cultures that they come from. You know, Brian is Colombian. I want them to understand that culture. I want them to understand what it is to walk through this world being Latin and walk through this world uh, being Black. I want them to know that their pa- their grandparents are immigrants. Brian's uh, parents immigrated here from Colombia, met each other here from the same town. Isn't that crazy? They were from the same town crazy. in yes. Colombia, Barranquilla. They had no idea. They did not know each other before and met in New York City. I want them to understand that they have a history of that as well. So mm. we more so have that those conversations of um, how important it is that our children know who they are and where they come from when we protested together. Mm-hmm. I have protested before Brian had not. And I think he was a little hesitant at first because if you've, when you don't know something, you can only define it by how you, what you read, watch, listen to. So you're mm-hmm. watching the news and you're seeing these protests because they're only showing what happens after hours. And I'm telling Brian, I have protested multiple times. It, it's a euphoric experience. It really is. Mm-hmm. And I said, you, I promise you, 
You won't regret it. And this is so important that we do this because we're protesting for the future, for our future Mm. children who will walk and navigate this country. And he got it. And we went together and Ryan was emotional during it. And it was in this protest was a different experience than the other ones, because normally when I was protesting, everybody looked like me Mm. with just a few pockets of those who did it. I was the minority protesting in Miami for Black Lives Matter and police reform. It was so diverse. It was beautiful and it was peaceful. There Mm -hmm. were police there. People were at their megaphones, their chants, their posters, but we were united in a peaceful way. Nothing Mm -hmm. happened. I can't speak to what happens after hours, but I say that to say when we were doing it, we were, it was important that we were like, we are doing this for the future, for our children. And so we've had those conversations, obviously in our home. I think, I I feel like my, I'm going to be that parent where the kids are like, mom, we get it. We know, (laughs) we get it. We understand black lives matter. (laughs) They're going to be like, shut up. (laughs) So I didn't. And I, what I don't know, but I do know this is out there because, um, my sister's my sister's kids are biracial. Their dad Mm -hmm. is white and their books. There are a lot of children's books that can teach children in a more simplified way where they understand it. And I do think it's important that you have those conversations and you do teach them at such a young age. So they get it when they're, when they're older, they know how to confront it if they experience it. And then just also, so you're not ashamed of who you are, or you don't have experiences like me at a young age. And again, my parents were great, but you know, I don't want my kids saying, I want my little sister to be, you know, a race that they aren't. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, out of the mouths of babes, out right? Of babes. Yep. <laughs> Um, you know what? You, it's funny you mentioned the books for kids because I found this website that I wanted to mention. It's called socialjusticebooks.org. And they actually have all these kids' books listed on um, educating kids about social injustices. And it's categorized into age groups, which I think mm. is amazing for all those parents out there. I want to go back one minute because I forgot to ask you a question that I think is really important and relevant. And that is. When you are faced with the prejudices and social injustices that you've personally experienced, mm-hmm. how do you how do you cope? Mm-hmm. And also with, you know, that moment on your finale when you are you're trying so hard to to express yourself, but you feel like you can't. You have to censor yourself because of the retribution that's going to happen afterwards. Like, how do you cope with that? How do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. I do think I'm very good at compartmentalizing things. I think that's years of practice. I think it's also the profession that I was in as being an attorney. I feel like I was groomed to not really show emotions in that way. That's a gift, but it's also a curse. I've been in therapy off and on for years, like mm-hmm. five years. And so that has has made me tap into my emotions and being okay to express them. So for me, it varies. When when May was probably my hardest moment, not mm-hmm. even the finale, May was my hardest moment. I would cry a lot and I allowed myself to feel what I was feeling. Six years ago, I would have never been able to do that. I would have brushed it under the rug, said, put on your big girl pants and keep it moving. Mm-hmm. I allowed myself to grieve and cry 
and, and feel every emotion that I was feeling, anger, frustration, confusion, hurt, sadness, all of it. I felt it. And I, and I probably was that way for a good two to three weeks, but I needed to go through that. I needed to feel that because when I came out of it, I was like, all right, so crying isn't going to get me anywhere. This place isn't, I felt it. So now how do I get to work? How Mm. do I allow other people to, you might not feel it like I do, but to see it, to understand it, to hear me. That's one way of doing it. I'm also you know, I, I grew up Christian. I consider myself a Christian. So I'm big on prayer. I'm big on, I've gotten into journaling. I'm big on meditation. I would listen to sermons from back home from my pastor in Dallas. I I would talk to my parents. I would ask them about experiences with race and racism. I'd ask them how they dealt with things because I'm convinced I would have been I'm such a hothead. I don't know if I could have been survived in any other time. I really, I really don't. I don't think I would. I would. I, you know, I needed to be born in this time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and like just having these conversations as well would help. I would have. I had a lot of conversations, and then I'm grateful for Brian. You know, I have a strong support system, and I could lean on Brian. And I'm happy that we had had certain conversations before this happened. We, I, I know other couples who are interracial couples who had never talked about race, which blows my mind. For me, I needed to know how Brian was mm-hmm. us to be successful as a couple. I needed to, to understand it and I needed to know his experiences. And so I just I'm very grateful that I have a rock, you know, so Brian would allow me to be weak and he was strong for me, even if he didn't necessarily understand everything. He was there for me when I was going through it. Yeah, that's so important. I mean, you're it's it's really funny to me because you're touching on so many topics that I've had I've discussed on this podcast. Like we I just had someone talking about grief and how you have to how it's an emotional experience and it's not an intellectual one. And you mm-hmm. actually have to experience it and process those emotions, go through those emotions in order to get to the other side. So I think denying your emotions in any way, shape, or form when you are struggling is a detriment to yourself. Yeah. I'm talking weeks, Trista, because yeah. it was Ahmad. I'm going to tell mm-hmm. you how the sequence of events went. Ahmad, Hannah Brown saying the N-word. Then it was George Floyd. And in somewhere within those three weeks, it was week by week. Within the three weeks, we learned about Breonna Taylor. So mm-hmm. I was just rocked and it was, a, and, and, and I'm not bringing up Hannah Brown too. You know, she apologized and she owned it. And this is not to come down on her. It was, it wasn't her. It was the response that I got for standing up to it. That, mm-hmm. that got to me. I just couldn't believe the response you I got from other people, from other people. Yes. Yeah. So this isn't a knock to Hannah. This is the way. And she called out, you know, her followers. She yeah. really did. It was a knock to the people who made me wrong mm-hmm. for holding her accountable for saying it, even though she's yeah. holding herself accountable. You know, that that is an instance where all of this got to me. I just couldn't believe people could be that blinded, that ignorant, that hateful. 
Mm-hmm. She got the benefit of the doubt. Somehow I became the wrong, the wrong in it. And, and it, right. once again, I have to keep saying this because I don't want people to take this the wrong way. That was not her doing that. That totally. was other people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys now? Are you guys on good terms? Yeah, we're cool. I mean, you know, I'm, we're not best friends or anything, but we definitely have had conversations since then. And we've talked it through and I, and I like have to credit her for doing the work and understanding why that was so hurtful. And she Mm -hmm. did. And, you know, we were, we had grown mature conversations and, you know, we moved on from it. So I wish everybody who, all the people who came at me in that instance, I wish everybody could have reacted the way that she did. Yeah. The way that she grew from it. Yeah. Well, I, and I feel like they, if they would watch her stuff, like she's been very outspoken about how she was wrong and what she is doing, like physical active things that she is doing and has been doing since that happened to be better. You know, I, I think they, they need to follow her lead. You're so right. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to give her the credit for that. Yeah. No, there's only so much I could do. So you got to give credit for her for, you know, taking the initiative Yeah, to be better. Yeah, I agree. It was such a hard time because you know how I feel about my girls. Like yeah. I love my girls and I <laughs> I am just so maternal towards all of you. And yeah. it's kind of like when when two are not getting along or there's any kind of issue between them, yeah. it just uh it pulls me apart. And I you just, reached out. It. You reached out. You were like if you're not just talking about being maternal, you actively were talking to me when all of this was going on. You know, we had conversations. So, you know, like, I think it's important for people who are listening to understand that it's not like you were like, Oh, I'm feeling maternal. And I felt this way. No, you acted on it. You were calling and texting and everything. (laughs) Yeah, I try. I mean, I just feel this connection to everybody, but because I'm so much older, I feel like than everybody, it's more of a maternal relationship in my mind than it is anything. So yeah, I, I needed to make sure you were okay. <laughs> and I will always be grateful for that. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you can always come to me. So at, at the end of every podcast, I, I like to give people takeaways that they can take into their own life and utilize in order to be better in terms of what we're talking about today. So how can we all become allies and become better in terms of putting the work in to be anti-racist? Great question. I'm probably going to say some things that you've heard before. That's but okay. I think that the biggest thing is this can't be a moment. This can't be a moment in time. We can't say in 2020 we focused on Black Lives Matter and it ended, you know, December 31st, 2020. This has got to be a movement. And when I say a movement, I don't just mean that Black Lives Matter I'm talking having the conversations like we just said about recognizing Latinos and talking about them and and they matter and Asian culture, Indian culture, and just like all these cultures that we don't necessarily highlight and that we don't necessarily talk about in certain ways. I'm hoping this is a movement to just bring other people, cultures, movements to the forefront and where we can all be better and we can be more educated and knowledgeable. Like I can talk about Black Lives Matter because I'm Black and I experience it every single day. I'm not as well versed in talking about 
other movements, but they're out mm-hmm. there and they're going on. Black Lives Matter happened seven years ago. It just now is getting its spot spotlight and shine in 2020. So I just think that this has got to be a movement. We've got to continue having these conversations because if we're better, then the next generation will be better. Imagine if you got to think about it. Our parents' generation comes from like the civil rights movement and the things they learned were trickled down from their parents to their generation and then so on. So imagine the power that we have now, if this can trickle down to the youth, you're already seeing the youth come out in ways that they never have before when it comes to protesting and using their social media platforms to really recognize what's going on and to be a voice for the voiceless. I think it's so important that we continue to do that, whether it's watching. There are so many great documentaries out there. If I can just offer one, it's called All In. It's on Amazon Prime. It's called All In, colon, The Fight for Democracy. It's Stacey Abrams. This is a documentary that they have got to play in schools. It's all about voter suppression. Voter suppression is just like white privilege and systemic racism. These are words that we keep hearing thrown around, but you don't necessarily understand what they mean. She not only talks about the history of voter suppression in this country, she talks about the history of the people who have been suppressed and mm. and and interweaves that with her own her own experience growing up in Georgia. I think it's Alabama as well where mm. she was born. So it's just very interesting and it's very educational and it's like we have to keep talking about things you can watch, things you can listen to, like you're talking about the podcast you are, things you can read and we have to be aware and we have to recognize our own biases that we may have, our own stereotypes, our own privilege. We just have to recognize these things. And I think if we do that, it's all a step to being better. But the biggest thing is to keep having these conversations, which is why I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be talking to you right now and to keep the conversation going. Yeah, so important. Me too. Are, you mentioned the books and the movies, and I know you mentioned the documentary, but are there any other specific books, movies, podcasts, television shows that you would recommend? Between the World and Me. Hmm. Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote this book, Between the World and Me. It was written, I believe, in 2015. It was a letter to his son about being Black, being a Black man in this country because of the injustices and the things that he was seeing. I believe he's from the Baltimore area. Mm-hmm. There is now a documentary that just came out on HBO Max between the world and me. And it's got all these amazing black actors and actresses and just well-known celebrities that are reading this out as spoken word. It's amazing because it was going to be a play. So that's a really great one to, to watch as well. So you don't have to necessarily read the book. You can now watch it. Um, I've got to promote uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Emmanuel Acho has as a dear friend of mine, who's done an incredible, incredible web web series that he created. It is now a book. Um, it's out now and he really does a great job of breaking things down and having conversations with different people. He sits down with Chip and Joanna Gaines. Mm. Um, so it's the whole family learning. He sits down with Matthew McConaughey, where it's a black man and a white man talking. He does interracial couples. I'm a part of that episode. He sits down with the police force. He sits down with Chelsea Handler. Um, Chelsea Handler has a good, very good documentary on Netflix called White Privilege. Mm. And she's goes around where she's recognizing, and this was before 2020. She recognized wow. that she had her own privilege. And she's, it's, it's like a little over an hour and she's going around talking about it. 
Um, that's on Netflix. I believe it's still there. Uh, really, really good. So uh, those are those would be my my recommendations. If I was going to promote podcasts, I would promote my own higher learning. Of course. Where as you, know, you should. <laughs> you should go back. I mean, we started in May when I was just a wreck. So the podcast became very therapeutic for me. But, you know, Van and I break down multiple times and we talk about how things are affecting the black culture, whether it's politics, entertainment, current affairs, sports. We do it all. And we do it in a really fun way. We've got this brother and sister relationship going. So yeah. You do. I've listened and I love it. I think that you you guys are so cute together. Yeah. Um, You are, you you are killing it, doing such a great job and such an inspiration for people like me who are just little babies in the podcast. Oh no, this is, this is great. You have such a great concept. Seriously. Doing this podcast. There's room for everyone at the table. I'm telling you like with podcasts, it's the future. It's there's room for everyone. Well, I I think that, but I hope so. You know, I know I'm following in some pretty big footsteps and I am loving every second because these conversations are giving me life. Like I, as, as I believe, you know, I I didn't hide it during quarantine. And I think I talked about it in our little bachelorette text chain. Go copper, go. Uh, (laughs) He's the cutest. I was struggling during quarantine, like depressed and and not in a good place. Right, Copper? I know. That's so true. (laughs) And this is really fueling me. You know, I, I love doing the prep work for it. I love researching my guests and finding out more about them. And, you know, to me, the good stuff in life are conversations. It's connecting with people, it's relationships. And that's kind of what this podcast is all about, you know, that, and then spreading positivity and just trying to be better. So anyway, thank you. Therapeutic. I'm telling you, I tell everyone, I'm like, oh my God, you're doing a podcast. It is the most therapeutic thing you can do. It's so freeing. I'm so happy you're doing this. So true. Thank you. Okay. I end with this question with everybody. Rachel Lindsay, how do you plan on being better tomorrow? Oof, great question. I typically am a negative person. Uh huh. I am hopeful and positive for other people, but I struggle with that for myself. So tomorrow I'm going to be better because I am going to be hopeful. I'm going to be positive, not just for others, but for myself. And I'm going to use that mentality in every single thing I do. So I'm going to be very intentional. And my intention for tomorrow is to be hopeful. I love it. I love it. I'm going to text you tomorrow and be like, are you being positive? Are you being hopeful? (laughs) You're going to be like, no, damn it. It sucks. Today sucks. I have to, and and you know, and I, Brian is one of the most positive people I know. And I love that about him. Like sometimes it gets on my nerves, but yeah. I'm, it, I'd be lying if I didn't say it's one of the things that I'm most attracted to him about, because I can't necessarily be that for myself. And I'm jealous about that, but yeah, it's a right. reminder that I need to be that same way too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okay. Brian, hold her accountable. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So where can everybody find you? Okay. Everyone can find me at the T-H-E Rachel Lindsay on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram. You can also find out what I'm doing on my website, www.rachellindsayofficial.com. You can check out Higher Learning 
every Tuesday and Friday episodes drop and Bachelor Happy Hour every Wednesday they drop, soon to be Tuesdays. It's all based on the scheduling of the show. Mm-hmm. And you can watch me every day on Extra and you just have to check your local listings. Yay! Love it. Thank you. This Thank has you. been a great conversation. I have loved every minute. And let's have more of them. You know, I think it's really important. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. I hope you feel a little better after having listened. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you're enjoying our show, please send it to a friend and put a little better into their lives. Also, if you would like to find me, you can go to Instagram at Trista Sutter or Facebook at Trista Sutter fan page. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day.